G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. Coming up today on The Story. I sometimes ask questions that nobody's ever thought of, (laughs) and and it's been very helpful, particularly in seeking for God. But I have to be honest, by the time I was sort of 14, 15 or 16, the theory that appealed to me most was the theory of evolution, because it was very evident to me, if I was just an animal, like this theory said, then I, John Mackay, could do whatever I liked. The Story. The Story. G'day, I'm Jimmy Colfax. Welcome to The Story. A bit of a scientific one for you today with John Mackay, who, as we just heard, was originally attracted to the theory of evolution. This is very ironic because today he's best known as John Mackay, the creation guy, and is the international director of creation research. So how did he go from an atheist evolutionary point of view to believing in God, the creator of the universe? We'll find out today on The Story as he has a chat with Karen Hunt. Let's go back to your early, early days. Little boy John Mackay, where did you grow up? Tell us what life was like. Okay, I grew up, um, you know, just on the edge of Brisbane down in the Wynnum Manly area. And uh, we were from a fairly, you know, not a rich family, but not an absolutely impoverished family. We had a house, we had no running water. I remember all of those sort of dirt tracks and, and the, and the baker calling, you know, coming with a horse and a cart. It sounds so ancient these oh, days. It's simple and it's days. not all that long ago, but it was very simple. And, uh, the one thing I became aware of very quickly when I was a, a young child, about five or six, my grandmother took a stroke in front of me and she mm. died the next morning. Oh, wow. So I knew that life finished. I didn't know what to think about it. I didn't know how to think about it. But I knew that she was and then she wasn't. Mm. And, of course, in my days, it was very impolite to talk about death with children, so you couldn't ask anybody about it. But I just filed it away. And I really am grateful God's given me sort of an analytic brain. It annoys the daylights out of some people, but I find it very helpful. So I filed that away till later on. And that's a very young age to have to process oh, yes. such a it thing. It was very young to have to process grandma dying. And then my grandpa, I discovered, who'd been very sick, actually died on the same day. Wow. But he'd been taken away from our house months earlier, and he'd always been old and sick in my, my mm. impression, you know. Uh, so there's factor number one. Factor number two In my day, even if you went to a state school and you didn't go to church, because we had no major association with any church or anything, uh, you couldn't avoid the impact of Christianity. So every morning the headmaster would say, let us bow our heads and let us pray, right? And so you got to know the words of the Lord's Prayer. So you had a vague knowledge about Jesus Christ and about God and about these sort of things. Um, surprise, surprise to those of you who are younger than sort of 40, we even had teachers who read us a Bible passage yes. every morning, right? Because the schools, the, the public schools, ipso facto, were Protestant schools and the private schools were largely Anglican or Catholic. Mm. So that, that's basically how the division was when we grew up in, in the ancient Australia. 
So you did gain an impression about there was a God. Um, now, not that you knew this God or knew much about the Bible or anything, but you had a vague awareness. So I couldn't ever say I was an atheist. I just wasn't a Christian. Mm. And, you know, I didn't have a label for myself at all. Now, coming down a few years and looking back, it's been rather surprising because now I'm a Christian, I run a ministry, I travel internationally, and you sort of ask yourself sometimes, well, how did I get from there to here? And I still remember a dear old lady who I only knew by the name of Woggy. Right? Now you think, what a name that is. But she said, I knew your mother when she was younger and I've been praying for her children. Mm. And I thought, wow. You know, and I'd become a Christian by that time, which is why she told me. I thought, well, I know one thing. Yeah, this I I became a Christian in the end because at least one person was praying for me to know Christ, and I didn't know that when I became a Christian. So here's John McGuire, five or six years of age. Parents or grandparents die. We need to shift districts. I lost all my friends, uh, and that, of course, made you, in one sense, independent. Uh, but still with a knowledge of death and a knowledge that you were still alive. And then later on you find somebody in the background has been praying for me. Um, By the time I sort of get through, um, you know, primary school, high school, it was very evident I was able to do science with not much trouble at all. Um, you know, you you always sort of scored up near the top of the class and you love solving things. And I still remember the, the first problem I ever tried to solve. It what was, was that? Digging a hole in the ground, filling it up with water and yeah. then wondering where the water went because uh-huh. there wasn't any hole for it to run out of. Uh-huh. And I thought that was at five, by the way. And I thought, yeah, that's an interesting problem. Let me solve that. Yeah, this curious uh, yeah, mind. Very curious. <laughs> so I, I, I sometimes ask questions that nobody's ever thought of. <laughs> and, and it's been very helpful, particularly in seeking for God. But I have to be honest, by the time I was sort of 14, 15 or 16, the theory that appealed to me most was the theory of evolution because it was very evident to me if I was just an animal, like this theory said, then I, John Mackay, could do whatever I liked. I could steal, and I was fairly good at hiding evidence of anything I did. I knew one thing, I got caught once, and I wasn't ever going to get caught again. And I have to say, I used my brains to avoid being caught. Lesson learned. Yeah, lesson learned. That's (laughs) right. Unfortunately, the wrong conclusion. But in the end, God caught me, but not how I would expect. Because by the time I'm sort of getting through high school, etc., and loving the theory of evolution and falling in love with the idea I don't have to be accountable, God, I felt now in retrospect Paul, the Apostle Paul and I had something in common. Okay. I set out in the morning to read a book on evolution, my favorite subject. It was a university textbook. I had no intention of becoming a Christian in any way, shape or form. But God was just there waiting, an angel, I'm sure, with a big hammer or something to hit me on the head, was standing behind me, and I didn't know a bit. As I read through this book, it poked fun at the existence of God and at the Bible. And the arguments were so illogical. You know, as I read this science book, this guy's an international scientist, but he's being stupid. And then I felt, and I really have to say this now, I felt convicted to pick up a Bible. Wow. I didn't know those words in those days. I couldn't have used were phrases like Holy Spirit compelled me or anything. Mm-hmm. I just felt, hey, this guy's making fun of a book. I better check what's in it. And I only had a beat up old Gideon's Bible, like the ones they give you at school, yeah. etc. And it was a King James one, so it was with the befores and what begot nots. And I found it really hard to, to sort of read through. But the, to cut a long story short, that's how John Mackay came to meet Jesus. 
and he changed me totally. Like Paul, you know, he, he set out to kill Christians and by the afternoon he's a saved man. And then God deals with him over the next three years and teaches him everything that he wants Paul to faithfully tell. And that's what God has done to John McCoy. And how old were you at this point? I'm sort of right near the end of high school. Okay. Um, and of course, from then on, my study was turned around and it was to you know, this God has saved me. I know he's changed me, right? He's changed my mind. He's changed my heart. I need to use my mind and my, my body and my, my capacities and my talents for him. So I remember a very early conversation with you. You mentioned going to university. You mentioned the science buildings and the inscription above the doorway as you entered that building. Tell our listeners what that was and what impact it had on you. Okay. Um, one of the things that you grew up with, even in the Christianized society of my day, was the concept, well, science was over there and it dealt with facts and religion was over here and it didn't have anything to do with facts. And science was separate from Christianity and the and you knew, even when I became a Christian, it was very evident that, you know, evolution was the popular theory, even though it wasn't dominant like it is now. And anyone who believed in creation was a bit of a nerd. Uh, I'd become a Christian. I knew Jesus and I knew what Genesis said, but I didn't want to admit that it actually had validity, even though I didn't want to reject it. OK, um, you go to university, you enroll in geology. Uh, you enter into the department, the science department, it's got the phrase, let there be light. It's got another phrase that says, um, what's that one? You shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. Yep. And there, there is a statement which I discovered were, quote, straight out of scripture. The trouble was they were mostly only half statements. The let there be light statement and God said, let there be light. Yeah. Light by itself only tells you you're not quite in the whole darkness, but it doesn't get you out of the darkness fully. When you say the truth will set you free, it's only a half truth. It's never true at all by itself because the rest of the phrase is when you become my disciples mm. and John Mackay had become a disciple of Jesus Christ and that Jesus had set me free mentally, physically and spiritually. And so I was encouraged to remember that these university academics actually had a Christian influence in their background and I could run with it. But I'd have to run with it and say, hang on, here's where we started. How come we've got so perverted and end up over here with millions of years and thinking we're animals when the God who told us those truths will set you free things actually created us in his image? You're listening to The Story, where today John Mackay, the creation guy, is sharing about his life. Next, we'll hear the rest of his story, including how he met his wife. Back with more soon. The Story. If this program has highlighted something you'd like prayer for, we'd love to pray for you. Call 1-800-PRAY-FOR-ME. That's 1-800-772-936. It's a free call. Or text 0401 132 888. Hi, I'm Jimmy Colfax, and this is The Story. We're continuing with John Mackay, the creation guy, sharing his life journey. John travels the world sharing about creation in his role as the International Director of Creation Research. He's also debated a number of atheists, including the well-known evolutionist Richard Dawkins, now, here's more of his chat with Karen Hunt. 
John, we've just heard a little bit about your early days of, uh, you know, your childhood, becoming a Christian, your inquiring, curious mind, getting into university in the science department. You actually became a science teacher, didn't you? Mm-hmm. Yes, I have to be honest, Karen. I always wanted to do science research. But when I became a Christian, I was impressed by, say, John 14, where it says, whatever you ask in my Father's name, that will I give you. And I thought, wow, that's that's pretty heavy sort of stuff. And then, you know, let the Father's will be done. Uh, and so I thought, okay, you know what I want to do, Lord God, but I want to do whatever you want to do like your son did. And so progressively, the Lord took me away from a desire to do science research to have a way in which, well, I could actually use it with young people and older people because witnessing to a, you know, a typhoid bacteria is not really <laughs> very helpful. Witnessing to people about how we got typhoid. Yeah. Now that's, that's a much more progressive sure, and what attitude. We can do about so, it. yeah. So I ended up in education. So I ended up in a position where I had to confront the issue that I'd sort of put aside. It's one thing to say, I reject evolution. It's another thing to be able to convince others as why, and it's an even bigger thing to say, now here's something to replace it. Yeah. So even though I'd left university, even though I was in a responsible position uh, in education, I, I had to be honest, I was avoiding this issue. And my prayer was, Lord, whatever you do, don't put me in a position where I have to do this stuff. So you can imagine what God did, can't you? He put me right in the middle of where I had to actually address this subject. Mm-hmm. And so I thought, okay, God, I give up. Uh, I'm willing to do this. What would you like me to do? How can I do it? Now, at that time, we had uh, one other person on staff who'd been struggling with this issue, knew about somebody, uh, you know, the evolution protest movement, which was really an anti-evolution movement rather than procreation. Mm-hmm. But they started to supply me with them literature. I had my Bible, of course, and I'd become more and more convinced that God's word that saved me was true from the beginning. But what do I do with it? How do I apply this in science? You know, I had millions of years in my head and a Bible from God who was there who said he made the world in six days. So I guess you could say it was probably five or six years at least after I left university before I found a way to actually express this. Now, I know it's not all that, um, what's the word, common out there for many Christians, but I'm one of these people who believes that since God spoke things into existence and when it says God's spirit bears witness with our spirit, that he actually still does speak. Mm. Now, you check his speech against what his word has said so you don't get led astray by your own silly thoughts or whatever. And I remember pondering as I lay on the bed, you know, what 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 actually is convincing evidence for creation? And uh, I'd been trying for many years to sort of go through all the evidence. I'd gotten multicultural, if you like, in science, but I hadn't been able to resolve that issue. And all of a sudden, I had a voice in my head that said, John, you are asking the wrong question. Uh-huh. And I thought, well, what's the right question? The right question is, given that I've told you the truth, how does that explain the evidence? I thought, okay, I've never asked that question before. By the way, that gave rise to a rather famous John Mackay, isn't it, that says you only get the answers to the questions that you ask, and if you don't ask the right question, don't expect the right answer. And the question was, God told us ten times in Genesis 1, he made creatures to produce their own kind. Ding, here am I, a geology graduate. Ding, 
the biggest problem of evolution is the fossils. Ding, Charles Darwin said so. Ding, what's the problem? Once the creatures appear, whether it's a coelacanth or anything, they don't seem to change. Ding, they've produced their own kind. Thank you, God. Wow. I know where I can start. Yep. I hadn't sorted out the millions of years then, but I did at least had a starting point to say, okay, students, stop. Do the fossils actually show evolution or not? And we weren't even discussing religion. We were just talking about fossils. And and the bottom line is eight out of ten students who sat through courses like that without even opening their Bibles had to say, no, they don't. And then God convinced me, what you need to do, son, is write a book on how do we know what we know in the first place. I thought, okay, because you see most of us read textbooks and we assume because it's in black print, it's signed by a professor from Queensland University, it must be fact. Here's John Mackay, graduate, and he discovered that all the theories had changed 10 times in the past 20 years. So they weren't facts at all. So the students needed to know how could they tell the difference between the latest opinion and what was really evidence. Now, that course proved to be an overwhelming success. I ended up in the uh, education minister's office you know, arguing that we should be allowed as teachers to actually give students this option. And I was absolutely flabbergasted when they said, okay. And this is in the state education department. This is in the state education department. department. That's right. And so uh, at that time, the press discovered what we were doing. And that was my last private day. From then on, it's been, oh, we've read about you in the Courier Mail. We've heard about you in the Telegraph. Remember the old Telegraph? And uh, and can you come and talk to us at this church, at that college? And, you know, I've been sort of tearing my hair out trying to fit 28 hours into a day ever since then. But God has obviously created this curious mind for his amazing purposes. I've got no doubt about that at all. And uh, even sometimes when I've thought, well, it really is weird to ask why baby bromeliads have thorns. You know, and then try to find out because I haven't met anybody else who's interested in that. Of course, of course, huh? What? <laughs> but that's you know. Sometimes I just look at that and I say, "Yeah, that's a good question. Nobody's ever asked me that question before," and 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 it's really been helpful. And so, despite the fact that it's bizarre to some people, occasionally you get someone who says, "Well, if God made everything, why do things have thorns?" Mm-hmm. And you've actually thought it through, mm-hmm. and you can say, "Well, here's the evidence. Now, here's what God's word says. Notice they match up." And that's been the crucial thing that God has taught me. Uh, you know how your Bible is divided into Old Testament and New Testament. And to most people today, it's just Jewish opinion or Christian theory. But in reality, it uses a legal term, a testament. And a testament is a legal document and a document that has to be historically valid, legally valid and factually valid. Any error in those three, that three deals and there's no guarantee that the, the thing is reliable. And you say, a testament? I write out a last will and testament. It's all about who will inherit my good things. And the Bible is an inheritance document giving us eternal life from our father whose son paid the price to buy it. Amen. Any error? In fact, history or law, and there is no inheritance. The will is null and valid. So that's what God has impressed upon me, and that's why this issue is so vital. Now, John, I'm really curious to know, my curious mind, where in your journey and how did you come across your lovely wife, Anne, and now your children and your grandchildren, are they Mm -hmm. on board with you with all that you've dedicated your whole life's work to? My lovely wife, and she is a really lovely wife. She, she has is. to put up with me, and you know her as well. <laughs> it's it's interesting because 
when I first became a Christian, remember the bit of background growing up, grandma and grandpa died on the same day, shifted house, mm-hmm. moved districts, mm-hmm. lost your old friends as it were, even though you went to st- the same school still, but from the opposite end of the, the district. And uh, then you become a Christian and you discover one thing, your old friends, you're no longer as popular with them. They want to go on a secular route. You don't want to go on a secular route. You want to please Jesus. You want to read your Bible. And I discovered Christianity can be fairly lonely. Uh, at the same time, you know, bless my mum because she was a wonderful mum, but she had a thing about reading the Bible and she was worried I was going to be a religious freak and, you know, she would yell at me, you know, you shouldn't be reading that too much. It's going to your brain, etc. And uh, my dad was antagonistic to Christianity and, um, Okay, so there's the context. And so one of my first prayers, when I read through John 14, it says, whatever you ask me for according to my Father's will, that will I grant you. And I said, all right, Lord Jesus, this Christianity is a little bit lonely. I need a good woman. And I mean, that's basically was my words, right? And uh, basically after that, I got associated with a local church, and that's where I met Anne and uh, I discovered later on, she said, I had my eyes on you from the moment you walked in the door. And, uh, Ask so, and you shall receive. <laughs> that's exactly right. Beautiful. So I was thrilled with that. And um, her father had been a pastor, so he'd been an itinerant pastor. So when we did get married and we spent a lot of time apart, because I, you know, as I said, I've just come back from India and things like that, um, she said, well, I feel as if God prepared me my oh, It's just so exciting. <laughs> It's special. Yeah, it is. It really is. (laughs) You just can't thank God enough for it. When we got married and I started to sort of travel all around the globe, it was just so exciting to see Anne. You know, I feel as if I've been raised for this because my father traveled a lot and I got used to seeing my mum just say, well, we can trust Jesus in this and we can rely on Jesus. Mm. And so she's proved a wonderful mother, a wonderful wife, and a blessing in the ministry, and she still tries to keep tabs on where I am around the planet so that everybody else can know, as well as wondering, you know, do we have enough money and other yeah. books in shape and all those things. So can I encourage all of the listeners out there, make sure if you're a young man, you are praying for a good and godly woman, yeah. and particularly one who's like the church because the church is supposed to be submissive to her Lord and Master uh, because he saved us. And you you young ladies, if you want a good and godly husband, look for one who loves Jesus more than you, you because bet. he's called to serve Jesus as you're called to be his helpmate in this life as you both serve the Lord Jesus. So mm. she's been a real blessing to me. She's a good woman. God's a good God. Amen to that. Uh, you asked about kids uh, and grandkids. Um, I haven't come across any of them who are evolutionists yet, which is really wonderful, really good. Mm-hmm. I'll be going to uh, Victoria in a couple of weeks to work in a school down there because my daughter is in charge of one of the sections in the school. She's a mum. Her kids are all at school now. So she's moved back into education. And so I'll be in that school teaching about God's handiwork in creation. And uh, her son, uh, Geordie, who's, I would have to say, he's like a, you know, a chip off the grandpa's block. because mini John Mackay. There's really? no doubt about that. No doubt about How that. How old is he? Oh, he's uh, just sort of growing on to grade six or seven. I can't uh-huh. qu- quite ever remember which. But he's the sort of guy who sits with me and says, Grandpa, have you ever pondered the use of ramjets in the high altitude areas of Earth? I and, love it. Uh, <laughs> and, and so they sit him deliberately with me because no one else can deal with his conversation. But no, you, you will find that 
the impact of generation upon generation is absolutely vital. And that's why the scripture says, even in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy, teach your kids when you sit down, when you lie down, when you stand up, when you're out in the field. So we do deliberately try to make sure our children and our grandchildren and their friends get to see the wonderful things that God has done, as well as ponder about some of the hard things like thorns and thistles and weeds and struggles and divorces and you name it. So again, how many kids do you have? I have four kids and 12 and three-quarter grandkids. Uh Another one on the way. Yes, another one on the way, praise the Lord. They're one of the best evidences of God's handiwork because, you see, people only produce people. (laughs) Uh, We produce after our kind. We are living proof that Genesis is true. I also want to give a plug right now for your museum as well. You Mm -hmm. are really developing things there. Yeah, we sure do, Karen. So we have a creation garden museum we have fossil collection there uh, it's a great time you've been up there to have a dig and it's even better since you were up there so yes we have a creation museum it's up outside of Gympie it's called Jurassic Ark so you can find a lot more details creationresearch.net click museum scroll down click Jurassic Ark and tell us you want to come and join us it's a fantastic website as well now for those who maybe haven't heard of Ken Ham mm-hmm. his role with Answers in Genesis mm-hmm. he's an Aussie Yep. But he's currently in the U.S. Uh, he was my assistant out here for many years, or I was his assistant, take your pick. Teamwork. And uh, he left um, to go to America in 1987, now runs the world-famous Creation Museum over there. In um, Kentucky. In Kentucky, that's right, U.S. of A. And uh, we did a, a, a DVD, which is free online uh, on our YouTube. Um, just go looking for Ken Hammer, John McKay on the YouTube. So Ken, an Aussie by birth, uh, felt called to go to America where they could actually, you know, have a lot more financial incentives there, the churches and the, the Christian things there than we have in Australia. Sounds good, John. I've been chatting with John Mackay, the creation guy, the international director of creation research. And again, a final time, your website is creationresearch.net. That was Karen Hunt chatting with John Mackay, the creation guy. And as he mentioned, his ministry has a creation museum near Gympie in Queensland, creatively entitled Jurassic Ark. It is billed as the world's only outdoor creation museum, and it sounds like a great place to take the whole family and learn about God's creation. Well, thanks for joining us. I'm Jimmy Colfax, encouraging you to share your story with someone today. Next time on The Story. So everything was going as well as as far as we knew and then we went to the um, 20-week ultrasound scan and the doctor called us sort of within a couple of hours after that and asked us to come in the next day, which is never a good sign. And um, when we met with the doctor, we learned that Stephen actually had a fairly rare brain condition. So it was just a total unknown for us from then on. Hannah Boland has had her share of tragic experiences, so it's surprising to hear that she's a stand-up comedian and only began doing comedy after going through many challenges. We'll find out how she reconciles tragedy and comedy next time. The story. Just another way vision is connecting faith to life. This program is a production of Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, see vision.org.au.